Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book entitled The Private Key to Heaven, written by Thomas Brooks, the English nonconformist preacher and writer who died in 1680. Well, he's giving us 11 words of counsel regarding private prayer, and in the eighth one, he comes up with a question about how can a man know he's really in communion with God, and he's proceeded to give us several answers to that question. We're on the sixth answer to that question within the eighth council. Sixthly, I answer, when closet duties fit a man for those other duties that lie next his hand, then doubtless he has had communion with God in them. When private duties fit a man for public duties, or when private duties fit a man for the duties of his place, calling, and condition wherein God has set him, then certainly he has had fellowship with God in them. When a man in closet duties finds more spiritual strength and power to perform the duties that are next incumbent upon him, then assuredly he has met with God. When private prayer fits me more for family prayer or public prayer, then I may safely conclude that God has drawn near to my soul in private prayer. Or when one closet duty fits me for another closet duty, as when praying fits me for reading, or reading for praying, or, or when the more external duties in my closet, reading or praying, fit me for those more spiritual internal duties, self-examination, holy meditation, soul humiliation, then I may rest satisfied that there has been some choice fellowship between God and my soul. When the more I pray in my closet, the more fit I am to pray in my closet, and the more I read in my closet, the more fit I am to read in my closet. And the more I meditate, the more I'm fit to meditate, and the more I search and examine my heart, the more fit I am to do that. The more humble and, uh, and abase my soul in my closet, the more fit I am to humble and abase my soul. Then and then I may be confident that I've had communion with God. And then another answer, seventh, that all private communion with God is very soul-humbling and soul-abasing. Abraham was a man that had much private communion with God and a man that was very vile and low in his own eyes. In Genesis 18, Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes, in respect of my original, says Abraham, I am but base dust and ashes. And in respect of my deserts, I deserve to be burnt to ashes. There are none so humble as they that have nearest communion with God. Jacob was a man that had much private communion with God and a man that was very little in his own eyes. I am not worthy, he said, of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have showed to your servant, or as the Hebrew has it, I am less than all thy mercies. When Jacob had to deal with Laban, he pleads his merit, but when he had to do with God, he debased himself below the least of his mercies. Moses was a man that had much private communion with God, as I have formerly evidenced, and a man that was the meekest and humblest person in all the world. Now, Josephus, writing about Moses, says, if he may be believed, anyway, Josephus, that he was so free from passions, and I'm quoting, that he knew no such thing in his own soul, 
He only knew passions by their names and saw them in others, but felt them not in himself. End of quote. And so when the glory of God appeared to him, he falls upon his face in token of humility and self-abasing. David was a man that had much private communion with God, as is granted on all hands. And how greatly does he debase himself and vilify himself. He says, the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. And what more weak and contemptible than a flea? He says, after whom is the king of Israel come out? After, after whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. As if David had said, it is not worth the while, the labor. It is below the dignity and honor of the king of Israel to take such pains and to pursue so violently after such a poor nothing as I am who has no more strength nor power to bite or hurt than a dead dog or a poor flea has. But I am a worm and no man, he says in the Psalms. Now what is weaker? What is less regarded? What more despicable? What more trampled underfoot than a poor worm? The Hebrew word that is here rendered worm signifies a very little worm, such as breed in scarlet, which are so little that a man can scarcely see them perceive them. Thus you see that holy David debases himself below a worm, yea, below the least of worms. No man sets so low a value upon himself as he does who has most private communion with God. The four and twenty elders cast down their crowns at the feet of Jesus Christ. Their crowns note all their inward and outward dignities, excellencies, glories, and the casting down of their crowns notes their great humility and self-debasement. When Christians in their closets and out of their closets can cast down their crowns, duties, services, graces, enlargements, enjoyments at the feet of Jesus Christ and sit down debasing and lessening of themselves, then certainly they have had a very near and sweet communion with God. Chrysostom has a remarkable saying of humility. He said, suppose that a man were defiled with all manner of sin and enormity, yet humble, and another man enriched with gifts, graces, and duties, yet proud. The humble sinner were in a safer condition than this proud saint. End of quote. When a man comes off from closet duties and says, as Ignatius once said of himself, I am not worthy to be called the least, then certainly he has had fellowship with God in them. All the communion that the creature has with God in his closet is very soul-humbling and soul-abasing. In all a man's communion with God, some beams, some rays of the glory and majesty of God will shine forth upon his soul. Now all divine manifestations are very humbling and abasing, as you may clearly see in those two great instances of Job and Isaiah, where he said in Job, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Then Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then 
what sweet communion had Elijah with God in the low cave. There was a gentlewoman of no ordinary quality or breeding who, being much troubled in mind and sadly deserted by God, could not be drawn by her husband or any other Christian friends either to hear or read anything that might work for her spiritual advantage. At last her husband prevailed so far with her by much importunity that she was willing he should read one chapter in the Bible to her. And so he read Isaiah 57. And he came to the fifteenth verse. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Oh, she said, is it so? that God dwells with a contrite and humble spirit, that I am sure he dwells with me, for my heart is broken into a thousand pieces. Oh, happy text and happy time, that ever I should hear such comfort. And she was thereupon recovered. The more communion any man has with God, the more humble and broken his heart will be. Holy Bradford was a man that had much private communion with God, and he would many times subscribe himself in his letters as John the Hypocrite in a very painted sepulchre. Agur was one of the wisest and holiest men on the earth in his days, and he condemned himself for being more brutish than any man and not having the understanding of a man in Proverbs 30, verse 2. How sweet! is the smell of the lowly violet that hides his head above all the gaudy tulips that be in your garden. The lowly Christian is the most amiable and the loveliest Christian. When a man can come out of his closet and cry out with Augustine, I hate that which I am and I love and desire that which I am not. O wretched man that I am, in whom the cross of Christ hath not yet eaten out the poisonous and the bitter taste of the first tree. Or as another saith, Lord, I see, and yet I am blind. I will, and yet I rebel. I hate, and yet I love. I follow, and yet I fall. I press forward, yet I faint. I wrestle, yet I halt. And when a man can come out of his closet and say these things, then he may be confident that he has had communion with God in his closet. He that comes off from closet duties in a self-debasing way and in laying of himself low at the foot of God, he certainly has had communion with God. But when men come out of their closets with their hearts swelled and lifted up, as the hearts of the Pharisees were, it is evident that they have had no communion with God. God has not been near to their souls who says, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. Eighthly and lastly in these answered questions, when a man finds such a secret virtue and power running through his closet duties as wounds and weakens his beloved corruption, as breaks the strength and the power of his special sin, 
as sets his heart more fully, resolutely, and constantly against his darling lust, as stirs up a greater rage and a more bitter hatred and a more fierce indignation against the toad in the bosom, then certainly he has had communion with God in his closet duties. Consult this scripture. In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. That's Isaiah 2.20. In the day wherein God should take these poor hearts into communion with himself, their hearts should be filled with such rage and indignation against their most delectable and desirable idols that they should take not only those made of trees and stones, but even their most precious and costly idols, those that were made of silver and gold, and cast them to the moles and to the bats to note their horrible hatred and indignation against them. Idolatry was the darling sin of the Jews. Their hearts were so exceedingly affected and delighted with their idols that they did not care what they spent upon them. They lavish gold out of the bag, and they weigh silver in the balance, and hire a goldsmith, and he maketh it a god. They fall down, yea, they worship. The word here used for lavish in the Hebrew signifies properly to waste or spend riotously. They set so light by their treasure that they cared not what they spent upon their idols. God gave them gold and silver as pledges of his favor and bounty, and they lavish it out upon their idols, as if God had hired them to be wicked. Oh, but when God should come and take these poor wretches into a closet and near communion with himself, then you shall find their wrath and rage to rise against their idols, as you may see in Isaiah 30. Verses 19 to 21. Their communion with God is more than hinted. But mark verse 22. Ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver and the ornament of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, Get thee hence. None defile, deface, detest, and degrace, disgrace their idols like those that are taken into communion with God. Fellowship with God will make a man cast away as a menstruous cloth those very idols in which he has most delighted and with which he has been most pleased and enamored. Idols were Ephraim's bosom sin. Ephraim is joined or glued as the Hebrew has it, to idols, let him alone. Oh, but when you find Ephraim taken into close communion with God, as you do in Hosea 14, 4-7, then you shall find another spirit upon him. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? Hosea fourteen eight. I have had too much to do with them already. I will never have to do with them any more. Oh, how doth my soul detest and abhor them and rise up against them. Oh, how do I now more loathe and abominate them ever than ever I have formerly loved them or delighted in them. After the return of the Jews out of Babylon, they so hated and abhorred idols 
that in the time of the Romans they chose rather to die than suffer the eagle, which was the imperial arms, to be set up in their temple. Though closet duties are weak in themselves, yet when a man has communion with God in them, then they prove exceeding powerful to the casting down of strongholds and vain imaginations and every high thing and thought that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. When a man comes out of his closet with a more heart just full and and steadfastly set against every known sin, but especially against his bosom sin, his darling sin, his Delilah that he played and sported himself most with, and that he has hugged with pleasure and delight in his bosom, then certainly he has had private communion with God. After Moses had enjoyed forty days' private communion with God in the mount, how did his heart rise and his anger wax hot against the molten calf that his people had made? And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Exodus 32. Moses had never more intimate fellowship with God than now. And he never discovered so much holy zeal, anger, and indignation against sin as now. When a man comes off from the mount of closet duties with a greater hatred, anger, wrath, and indignation against bosom sins, darling sins, complexion sins that were once as dear to him as right hands or right eyes or as Delilah was to Samson or Herodias to Herod or Isaac to Abraham or Joseph to Jacob, then certainly he has had communion with God in those duties. When a man finds his beloved sins, his Delilahs, which, like the prince of devils, command all other sins to fall before his closet duties, as Dagon fell before the ark, or as Goliath fell before David, then assuredly he has had fellowship with God in them. Pliny writes of some families that had privy marks on their bodies, peculiar to those of that that line. Certainly there are no families, no persons, but have some sin or sins, some privy marks on their souls that may in a peculiar way be called theirs. Now, when in private duties they find the bent of their hearts and the purposes, resolutions and inclinations of their souls more raised, inflamed and set against these, they may safely and comfortably conclude that they have had communion with God in them. O sirs, there is no bosom sin so sweet or profitable that is worth burning in hell for, or worth shutting out of heaven for. And therefore in all your private duties and services, labor after that communion with God in them that may break the neck and heart of your most favorite sins. When Darius fled before Alexander that he might run the faster out of danger, he threw away his crown from his head. 
as ever you would be safe from eternal danger. Throw away your golden and your silver idols. Throw away your bosom sins and your darling lusts. And thus I have done with the answers to that noble and necessary question that was last proposed. Next time we'll come to the ninth advice and counsel of Mr. Brooks regarding private prayer. Thank you so much for listening. Please look around the site. Thousands of audios featuring some of the church's great preachers, persecution stories from North Korea, Bible studies on a number of subjects, and a blog. And if you want more than that, please consider buying one of my books at Amazon.com or contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and I'll tell you about our Zoom meetings. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. This audio is being released on the 2nd of June, uh, 2023. Lord willing, we'll talk again real soon. Bye-bye.